I'm Mike Breen, Public Awareness Officer for the American Mathematical Society, and I'm talking with John A. Adam, who's in the Department of Mathematics and Statistics at Old Dominion University, and we're talking about rainbows and the mathematics associated with them. So, John, can you give us a few of the rainbow basics, why they appear, and maybe as, as much as Descartes and Newton figured out? I'll certainly try. Essentially, you need rain, and you need sunlight. You need the sun to be in the right position. You need to have your back to the sun. And if you imagine at the moment no shad uh, no um, uh, rain at all, then you will see your shadow on the ground. And the line joining the sun through your head to the shadow of your head is an axis of a cone. And what happens is that when it's raining, if the sun's in the right position, that is not too high in the sky, uh, you will see backscattered light from the raindrops that has been refracted and reflected inside the raindrops and only those drops that scatter light at an angle of about 42 degrees to that axis will enter your eye and so because of the symmetry we get a circular arc because anything any raindrops that scatter into that angle will uh, send light into your eye of course, there's millions of, or billions probably, of raindrops. The colors come from different raindrops. Each person sees a different rainbow because they're seeing different scattered light. Each raindrop scatters a rainbow, but only reds will come from some drops, greens from others, blues from others, and so on. So if the sun is too high in the sky, above 42 degrees, then unless you're looking down onto a rain cloud or something from a hill, you won't see anything. And this actually explains, uh, in part, why I saw more rainbows when I was in, lived in the UK than I do here. Now, the obvious answer is, well, it rains more there. Well, in, in fact, it doesn't, at least not where I was living. But the sun spent more time lower in the sky than it does here because I'm at a much lower latitude living in southeastern Virginia. And so do you pine then for the UK uh, just because there are more rainbows there? <laughs> well, yes. Once I got over here and realized I didn't see so many rainbows, I did start thinking, wow, I never took advantage of living in the UK for that re reason. But there's a plus living over here because I see more ice crystal halos around the sun, which are a related phenomenon, but they're caused by hexagonal ice crystals in cirrus clouds. And I see several every month as I'm walking to work. Uh, and of course, they occur around the moon as well. So that was a bonus. A thing about rainbows that I hadn't heard about until I started reading was supernumeraries. And yes. can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, these are the pastel-colored fringes that appear sometimes, not always, below the primary bow. There's usually two bows if it's a bright enough sky, and you will see a secondary bow above the brighter primary, and the colors are reversed there. But underneath the arch, so to speak, of the primary bow, look for these fringes, greens and pinks, they were called supernumerary bows, which literally means superfluous bows at the time of uh, Newton. And Newton couldn't explain their existence on the basis of his preferred corpuscular theory of light. It was only the wave theory that was able to explain 
the existence of those as a result of interference between the light rays as they exit the drop. Now, in fact, since this is uh, for the AMS, I'll make a pun here. Um, supernumerary bows are an integral part of um, rainbow theory because, in fact, they represent subsequent maxima, the, the primary being the, the highest maximum, subsequent maxima of the intensity when you look at the distribution of light from a rainbow in the sky, the angular distribution. So um, I believe it was Ray Lee and Alistair Fraser in their book, The Rainbow Bridge, who said that the wave theory of light, and I'm, this isn't an exact quote, was the midwife that birthed the wave theory of light to preeminence after Newton's theory was no longer able to explain it. It also seemed that a lot of the history of the development of math and physics, not 100% of it, but a lot uh, is because of the investigation of rainbows. Indeed, yes. This this was really a, a fundamental achievement, the um, application of wave theory of light to this phenomenon. In fact, in 1838, the Astronomer Royal George, Sir George Biddle Airy wrote a, a fundamental paper on the intensity of light in the neighborhood of a caustic, and uh, this was uh, a classic. Now, subsequent to that, he, uh, an integral that he called the rainbow integral, it's been called the Airy integral, uh, named for him, but uh, it's not exact. It didn't place the positions of the maxima in exactly the observed spots, but it was a big, big step in the right direction, and uh, it, it's really taken many, many years to gain a fuller, I wouldn't say complete, but fuller understanding of what's going on mathematically. And uh, it wasn't until the 1960s, uh, early 70s, that papers appeared, very substantial papers that went into the more subtle features, including the supernumerary bows, but also the existence of glories, which are a related phenomena that, that, that you see uh, from clouds, looking down on clouds, say from an aircraft or a hill. So these kind of things that people see that are kind of magical, people are still doing research into them. And yes, they yes they are. There's um, it's, it's lots of sort of spin-offs as well. But at the calculus level, at the high school level, a perfectly adequate mathematical description of the rainbow can be made in terms of ray theory, Snell's law of optics, laws of optics, and classical Descartes Newtonian physics. But it doesn't explain these more subtle features like the super numerary bows that you mentioned. And so it's an interesting uh, blend of geometry, trigonometry, and calculus to do in a basic calculus class. And it's, it's quite fascinating, but it's not the whole story. John, is there anything you'd like to add? Well, yes, I will. What really got me interested in this phenomenon was I was at a, a Society for Mathematical Biology conference in Chapel Hill, North Carolina some years ago. And uh, as is my wont on these conferences, I tried to find a used bookstore. And I was walking back one evening after the conference had finished for the day. And there'd just been a rainstorm. And then the sun came out. It was low on the horizon. And I was walking back to my room and there was this almost semicircular rainbow, very intense, ahead of me. And I was stopping people and asking them to say, look at that. Do you see that? And just the range of responses I got was quite interesting. Some people just kind of shrugged their shoulders and walked on. Others stopped and were quite engaged by it. And some were not interested at all. And that really was, at that point, I decided I'd like to learn more about the, the theory behind the rainbow. I mean, I knew a bit about it, but not to the extent that I've learned since then. 
All right, well, so that's John A. Adam, who is in the Department of Mathematics and Statistics at Old Dominion University and telling us about rainbows. John, thanks very much. My pleasure, Mike. Thanks.